So we're starting a new series today called Kingdoms, and it's basically a series about God and government. And when I was growing up, I was told there's two things you don't talk about, right? Religion and politics. Welcome to church. So um, we're, we're going to do this uh, for the next um, two weeks, this one and the next one. So if you hate this topic, I recognize, you know, one of the things we teach our speakers when we're starting to train them to communicate for the first time is know your audience. Here's what I know about my audience. There's a significant portion of you that could care less about politics, right? So I believe that the topics I'm bringing you today is less about that. I'm more trying to help us migrate our hearts out of that to becoming better disciples of Jesus Christ. So I want to give you a perspective on this series. First, I'm not trying to get you to agree with me when this is all said and done. That, that's really not the goal. I'm trying to get you to think outside your current mental boxes that you may have, as God's been taking me on my own journey of that as well. Second, and most certainly, I am definitely not trying to pick a fight. But what happens when people start talking about things that maybe you have one way of thinking about, and maybe they have a different way of thinking about, we can get stirred up on the inside. If you start to get stirred up on the inside, as I'm talking, if you feel... Um, uh, attacked in a negative way um, this week or next week, I want to encourage you to try to get in touch with why. Why? What's underneath the hood? Why am I getting stirred up right now? And, and, and here's the question I have for you in that. As you get stirred up, ask yourself, is he saying something historically or biblically inaccurate? And if I am, um, I'm asking you to come with all that empathy and, and charm that you have and come correct me, okay? Because I... <laughs> Because listen, I'm on a journey with you. The, the deal with pastors is we, we have to come off sounding like some kind of authority because we're leading something. But the reality is I'm on the same journey of growing in Christ-likeness like you, right? And, and so, or maybe you're not yet, and, and, and you know, hopefully you'll get that opportunity to, to do that. Um, but I really what I'm interested in, so, well, anyway, that. Third, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for either week. I want to help you think about this whole process of being a Christian and living as a citizen in the USA and not compromising essential Christian values. Here's the thing. There's no law forbidding me to tell you who I think you should vote for. I could do that. But here's why I'm not doing that. As a pastor, I feel like my primary responsibility is to disciple you in your relationship with Jesus Christ, your knowledge of the scriptures, and then out of that conscience, you have to make decisions for your life. That's the degree and the limitations of my shepherding influence. And I don't want to use my influential position for something that I think is lesser compared to you being a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ. So that, that's where I'm at. Um, and the fourth thing I want you to know is there's almost no chance that I'm going to make most of you happy through this. I inevitably will roll over your toes at some point. But here's the thing, I'm not trying to. This topic is what we call a debatable thing. And in Lifeway Church, we've had a phenomenal, enjoyable history of being able to disagree on things like end-time eschatology, things like women in ministry, um, can Christians drink or not? And we got all kinds of discussions that fly around here. We don't believe those are essential. What we believe is essential is Jesus Christ's lordship and leadership and our faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. These are the essential Christian doctrines that the practical side of living under the leadership of Jesus should look like him ultimately. Over time, we grow into his likeness. So, so this is 
This is where it's, this is, this is what happens with debatable things. And here's the problem with debatable things. I've been in a lot of debates. Every time you have a discussion around something that's debatable, people on both sides of that discussion think they're right. I mean, they're sure they're right. And yet there's a debate. And so, I, 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 me, this is me included, by the way. Like, I have values. Like, I have a lot of opinions. I told the first service, I'm not going to tell you who to vote, vote for as I teach. If you want to know who I'm voting for, you can come ask me. But I'll tell you after the service. I don't mind private discussions. And if you really want, those, want that kind of influence. But I believe this is going to require humility as we approach each other, as we have these discussions, as we consider these things. And unfortunately, teachability and humility are just absent from humanity in general, but in this time of season, in the history of the earth, they seem more absent than normal. And so you, you have to invite it. You have to say, I'm willing to listen. We need empathy as we hear each other. Uh, I, 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 I can give anybody an ear, hear what they have to say, think about it. I don't need to bring the battle ax out the moment somebody challenges something I value. And so, now with all that disclaimer... To the message out of the way. Have you noticed, like, all the edginess, the fighting, um, the emotional dialogue, getting emotionally triggered, those kind of things out there online? There's, there's uh, attitudes and opinions and truth and lies. And, and, and I guess the question I have is, what if there's something going on beyond normal human emotions? And what if there's something going on that's that's deeper and, and maybe even otherworldly, a source that's, that's not of this world, but is impacting this world. Do you think that's possible? I believe there is. You know, Paul the Apostle, in his letter to the Ephesians, he, he opens up his letter to the Ephesians, and he kicks it off by telling him, hey, you are a faithful in Christ Jesus church. I'm writing to a people who know God. But then his introductory prayer for them is I'm praying for you that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will know the hope of the call of God, that you will know the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us who believe. He's like, man, you got it going on in Jesus. And he tells us about the blessings of being connected to Christ. Then he goes on to talk about Christian living and how we should live. But then he gets to the end of the letter and shifts his tone. With all that being true, he says this. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, a final word. Okay, how many of you know what a final word is pretty important in someone's letter? And the way he's writing it especially. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Why, Paul? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. Enemies. Can we just remember that when we're online with other human beings? That on the other end of that are flesh and blood. And... They're not the enemy, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let me ask you a question. So Paul, Paul's clear. Yeah, there's some otherworldly force. So you're called to all this strength. You're called to all this authority. You're called to live this godly life. You want to do it. You've signed up to do it. You want to follow Jesus. And then with all your best efforts, we get tripped up. We, we have relational difficulties. We have personal difficulties. And he says, hey, I don't want you to be surprised by that. I want you to understand this. And I want to give you a final word. You're in a war of some kind. It's a spiritual one in nature. 
And there are unseen forces that are wanting to influence outcomes in your world. In fact, the Bible says the whole world, Jesus said at one point, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one or the devil. Well, let me ask you a question. Why, why do these powers of darkness care about what's happening on this planet at all? What impact does that have on us as Christ followers? And so I want to answer those questions today and what it means for us as we navigate life and specifically what it looks like in the context of this election process. Because we, we taught it spiritual warfare at the beginning of the year. But that was, I dealt with a lot of, and, and my team dealt with a lot of the personal things that you face. But right now, I'm more interested in what is happening globally and corporately and our part uh, in it. And, and so uh, I believe the question, the beginning of the question, why, why did why these powers of darkness care? Revelation 11:15 says this, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So if you're part of the powers of darkness group, and you want authority, and you want your ways to be influenced, that's, that, that prophetic verse is a threat to your rule. And rulers don't like threats to their rule. Anybody studied history? Some of you say, no, I hated history. Well, then I'll tell you, they don't like the threats of their rule, okay? And I believe the powers of darkness, these rulers and authorities, they're very aware of this prophecy, and they don't want this coming to pass. They're not happy about what it would do to their kingdom, their desires, their dominion becoming a reality. And it's in conflict with the kingdom of God. So today I'm going to introduce you, first of all, to kingdoms in general. What's a kingdom? What's it mean? Then I want to look at the kingdom of God a little bit specifically. And then I want to look at how we live as citizens. It's going to take two weeks for me to unpack this. I had a guy, did I do pretty balanced in that message? He goes, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I evidently a, a, a attacked his leader, he thought, and, and his, his favorite person. And I said, next week I'll get to the other stuff. But listen, this won't be a balanced message. I have one agenda today, and that's to point you to Jesus Christ. So if I, uh, you know, try to lose some of the defensiveness about this and just say, I just want to look in the mirror of my heart today and say, Lord, where am I at with what he's talking about today, okay? So let's, let's dive right in. I want to start talking to you about kingdoms and their characteristics. A kingdom is a piece of land that's ruled by a king or queen, the right? factor there, right? But the word, the word is two ideas put together. King, a kingdom is a king's, king is king's, and the dom is dominion. It's the king's dominion. It's the extent of the authority of said ruler and its borders and where it's at. Kingdoms throughout history have been huge, like the, uh, uh, the United Kingdom spanned, you know, a lot of land for a while there, you know, and then you have these little bitty kingdoms that are smaller than the state of Delaware, but yet they're a kingdom nonetheless. And so uh, there are certain characteristics of every kingdom. In fact, for me to boil this down was a little bit challenging, but, but all kingdoms, I don't care what they are, have at least these five things in place. First of all, kingdoms have leaders called kings. Today, presidents and other elected officials serve in a similar manner. So from God's angle, when he says the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ, they don't have to have an official king at the helm for that to be a reality. It's still going to be a reality. Kingdoms have, the second thing is kingdoms have shared values. All right, they just like, and out of those values, the third thing is the kingdoms have laws that flow from those values. The fourth thing is kingdoms have citizens, people like you and me who, who are a part of those places where those values are and where those laws are enacted and we're expected to honor those. I guess out of those citizens, you could have police that you could pull out of the citizens, a police force that enforces the values, a military that protects the interests. But bottom line is it's citizenship. 
And then the fifth thing is kingdoms have economies and the forms of goods and services produced that are generally received and traded through like minted monies or printed monies uh, that either stimulate or, or not the economy. Okay, so you're probably thinking right now, thanks for the uh, simple lesson in, in government and civics. Uh, what's this have to do with anything that matters to me? You know, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I believe then, going back to where we originally started, I believe that the conflicts we are facing today have to do with this idea of kingdoms, leaders, values, laws, and citizens who are influenced by that and the benefits they receive or don't are, are part of the conflict that we are facing today. If I go back up, as I, as I look at these values, like, like the values, if I take the, first of all, amongst, let's just, let's just take, uh, you know, uh, liberal and conservative um, values. One person may value the uh, a woman's right to make a choice to, ab- to terminate her pregnancy. The other side may value, value the child's right to life. Even in a two-party system, you have little kingdoms conflicting with each other. If you begin to allow your eyes to be open to look at it from that angle, it's just a whole other angle and it'll be really helpful. But the other thing that is Jesus came saying he was establishing the kingdom of God. He, on and on he went and told multiple parables. When you jump into Matthew, the book of Matthew, as you go through that and you go through the book of Luke over and over again in Mark, you're gonna hear him talk about the kingdom of God is like this or the kingdom of heaven is that is if a man should do this. Or, but over and over again, he's saying that he's bringing a kingdom. The United States values center around liberty. The kingdom values center, Jesus values center around love. Now, I imagine that the, that the United States values with liberty include love, the pursuit of love, happiness, right, prosperity. Like, those values are embedded in there, but for, it starts with the liberty to do what I want. In the kingdom, Jesus says love includes liberty. I've set you free, not so you can use a freedom as an opportunity for yourself, but through love, serve one another. So while they're close, they're different. While they include some of the same things, they have a different foundation. And so that's what we're going to look at a little bit. And so Jesus said, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why, why Jesus? Why repent? And I believe Jesus would be saying this to us. I have a kingdom, not a religion, that is at hand. And that is not currently in agreement with your mindsets inherited from the kingdoms of this world. And I would say on either side of the aisle, on either position, whether you find yourself conservative in your thinking or liberal in your thinking, that doesn't really matter. Jesus is coming saying, hey, there's some mindsets that are not in agreement. I'll get to that in a few more minutes. And these conflicting values between these two kingdoms and desire for those values to rule over the land is what you literally are experiencing every day when you flip on your social media or your news or however you get intake or some conversation with a friend. There are these conflicting values of these two kingdoms that that are at war for dominion and rule at various levels. And this is where what we're looking at gets really important because I want you to draw this. If you've got bored, check back in. As citizens of the United States, uh, what, and especially as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you know, the Bible says that you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priest and a holy nation. That's who you are, 
right? The Bible talks about us no longer being, in Ephesians, no longer being strangers and aliens uh, to God's household, but we are all citizens of God's house, okay? We are citizens. Of, of, we're, we're, like, we're like citizens who have two dual citizenship. We have the kingdom of God, which is our primary citizenship, and our secondary citizenship, which is people in the United States. And so what we believe, though, about the United States will determine what we believe should happen in our day, and I know it because I watch it online all the time. So I rarely make comments, but I feel like a, I feel like an angel trying to fly over, going, "What's going on?" You know, maybe some. My wife might not think I'm such an angel, but anyway. Uh, so I want to say this before I'm going to make some pretty challenging statements. So I told you in the beginning, like I'm going to say some things that are going to challenge you a little bit. You might not, you might not agree with them. There's some debatable things. This far, I haven't given you anything that's debatable. It's about to come right now. So as I dish out the debatable. I want to preface a couple things as it pertains to the United States and Jimmy Nyman. I was a United States Marine. I served in the United States Marine Corps, quite ready and willing to give my life for the liberties that we enjoy. I have a son, Josiah, who's in the United States Air Force, uh, for better or for worse, stationed at NAS headquarters, all right? He's in intelligence. And, and my son, Micah, is about to leave November 10th uh, to join the Air Force as well in a pararescue role, hopefully, if he makes it through all that training. So I, I love the United States. I have been all over the world, done missions in multiple lands. There's no other land I want to live in. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you ever do that, you will kiss the soil when you come back, you know? So, so there, there's some good stuff. But I, so here's the tough statement. I, I believe this. I, I believe, I think I'm going to be able to prove it pretty, pretty easily here, that the United States is not, and never was, exclusively a Christian nation like many people think. There's a lot of people that in a, in a certain sector of the Christian faith who think that's true, largely because there was a man named David Barton from Wall Builders who I have mad respect for. I think he's a man of God. Some great, great stuff out there you can learn about uh, the, the Christian influences on our nation. The unfortunate thing is he kind of leaves out the other stuff. So I was on a tour. That my mindset is that. I'm like everyone else. This is a Christian nation. Yeah, I was proud to serve in the military for a Christian nation, except I couldn't deny that while I was in the military, uh, most of my day-to-day -day experience was not Christian even remotely. Let the reader understand. Uh, and so, I, and as I began to walk around, I began to notice some things. So I got on this tour. I went down to um, uh, this, this conference at a summit down there, and part of the tour was to be able to go through all the different Capitol buildings. I'd never been there, so I didn't know what was there, and I was really excited about this. And I loved walking up to certain, you know, you walk up to certain walls, and in granite, you got scripture on the wall, man. I mean, it's just awesome. But I also noticed, as I walked into the rotunda, this is where it got my attention, Roman gods and, 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 and goddesses around the different portals. And I'm going, what is that doing here? You look out on the property, and you have, um, you know, statues of, of Greek and, and mostly, mostly Roman uh, gods and goddesses and things like that. And I'm like, I'm very, I was confused. It actually set my mind at a tilt for a moment at what I was seeing. So let me help you understand something. When I was a missionary in Cambodia, I did some missions in Cambodia, all right? If you ever walk up to a Cambodian temple, uh, it's obvious. Like you had these big gold seven-headed snakes at the entryway of the steps, uh, you feel a palpable darkness that feels like a cloud hanging over you. It's, it's phenomenal. It's real. And people say, oh, it's just a statue. It is not just a statue. In fact, when I was doing my research, I actually did some research on what pagans think about, like some people who, who worship, what they think about that. They take, this, they take this stuff very seriously. 
And they, they see it. They think, you know, obviously think Christians aren't paying attention. So what are you saying? I'm saying the United States has Judeo-Christian values, but it has other values too. Do you hear what I said? There are Judeo-Christian values, but it has other values too and is therefore not uniquely or inherently Christian. And the reason acknowledging that is so important is it informs what we should do, how we should live, and how we should represent God to our fellow citizens in the United States while we are kingdom citizens of the kingdom of God with our leader, Jesus Christ. And so let me just help you. Let me just validate that because some of you are like, okay, you made some pretty strong statements there. Prove it, okay? I will. Um, first, to be a Christian nation, somewhere in our founding documents, there should have been a covenant made with Jesus Christ. For you to become a Christian, you have to make a covenant with Jesus, his leadership, and surrender to his lordship over your life. Facts, okay? That's, there's no other way to do that. That's biblical Christianity. Anything else that told you there's another way, they lied to you. And uh, I would happily do a Bible study with you and have that. It won't take long. Um, and so they, have to be, they had to have made a corporate covenant with Jesus Christ and a commitment to honor his ways. This is nowhere to be found in our Constitution or any other founding document. Yes, God is used repetitively. Which God? Jesus Christ is missing. While we're there, let me ask you another question. Why is our capital called Washington, D.C., or the District of Columbia? Columbia is a, is a, a, a goddess that the United States made up at its foundation based upon the Roman goddess Libertas from Rome. Happens to be the goddess of liberty or freedom. And so uh, if it... If I was going to name a capital as a Christian nation, I mean, D.C., if I'm going to go there, why not the District of Christ? Oh, Jimmy, we like Christian thinking. Okay, I get that. I really do. But that goes back to like liberty and love and love and liberty. Which one's foundational? If liberty is foundational, well, I'll keep going here. So, so the preamble of the Declaration of Independence tells us we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator, I don't know which one, but, but their creator, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This, a lot of this thinking came from Freemasonry. Freemasonry had a significant influence on our, on our leaders. George Washington was in the highest levels of Freemasonry. Benjamin Franklin was as well. I could go through this and do this with a lot of leaders, but I think you're getting the point. When he, they brought in Lafont to this, this man, a Frenchman, uh, I lost his first name, but Lafont, when they, when they brought him in to help design the capital, and then he got fired later, but the next guy was also a uh, you know, Freemason, it was no doubt designed. I mean, have you ever driven through DC? That's the craziest city ever on the planet to ever, or city to drive on on this planet. Uh, maybe, maybe there's other ones, but in the United States, I can't think of a crazier city as far as navigating roads. Um, what I found out as I did my research that they designed it to align with certain gods of Egypt in the star constellation. Particularly, uh, there are 23 zodiacs in DC's architecture. Now, a zodiac sign is those things, there's star constellations that, and so they were, they were designing this to align with Virgo, who was the only goddess in the zodiac. And so the Washington Monument, I think, I think the Library of Congress... Uh, in the Capitol building, create this hypotenuse triangle, which also happens to fit with that 
connection with the stars rise over the stuff. They, they, in other words, they laid it out to align with the heavens. Okay, that's, that's Babylonian in origin. It goes all the way back to Babylon. And, and Roman gods in various buildings all over that should make us raise questions. On our money, we have the all-seeing eye, which was an Egyptian pyramid-type thing uh, of illumination and those kind of things and understanding. And, and the all-seeing eye um, is was definitely Masonic. And, and they said that. You go read the history. They're like, they were trying to get these things in there. And so then what happens is people, we start trying to sanitize it and make it something in our history books that it actually wasn't. I know what some of you are thinking probably right now. Oh, he's one of them conspiracy guys. I'm actually not. I'm a history guy. This isn't conspiracy. This is history. You can find it. It's very easy to find if you actually want to do the research. So what's the point? Because uh, uh, it's this. Our founders made a covenant with liberty and not Jesus Christ, in my humble opinion. That means we were never exclusively a Christian nation. We have always been a pluralistic society, and we need to approach one another, and especially the people that don't, wouldn't call themselves by the name of Christ, with that understanding. And I want to say this. Um, if I was doing missions in another land, like I was going to go long-term missionary, well, even short-term, like I was going to go to Saudi Arabia, you can believe I'm going to study their government, I'm going to study their culture. I'm going to try to learn their values. When I was in the Marine Corps, we learned do not put your feet on the table in Saudi Arabia. You are giving them the equivalent of the middle finger in the United States. Now, if you didn't know that, you would just go, hey, I just kicked back in my house. You just insulted your <laughs> host. You didn't mean to. Are you following me? That's why we need to learn culture or we need to know what it is and who we're ministering to. And the problem is because we grew up in this nation, we can have the mindset that everyone knows these things already. There were so many things that I didn't know. When I was uh, a young man and I, I was, I, I just got saved, I started going to Bible college. Um, I was outside and I saw this group getting ready and I saw these um, pro-life type things like, you know, I don't know, abortion's bad, letting the kid live is good. And I, I had this friend, she was part of that group. And I said, what's going on over here? And she said, oh, yeah, we're going to go to this abortion clinic. We're going to go, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of whatever activist type thing. We're going to pick it, and then we're going to pray for people. I said, I, those seem like they're kind of conflicts of interest. I don't think anybody's walking up to you to pray for them while you're doing that. And so, um, so we were, we, I had this discussion. Here's the thing that I was, I was going after that. She, like a lot of people, assumed that I already had the common evangelical perspective on this. I hadn't, I just came to the Lord. I didn't know any of this stuff. And so she began to help me understand her perspective on that. We had, a, and I challenged it back because in school I was taught that was, you know, it's a fetus, it's not a, a baby. And we had these discussions and, and there, back then we talked to each other with kindness and empathy. There was debate, but we weren't, it wasn't heated. It was learning, trying to learn from each other. What are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? This is what, what I'm seeing. And here's why this is important. If the United States made a covenant with liberty, I could see at least if you're a citizen of the United States, there's two possible directions you can go with that. Freedom to do whatever I want. I want the freedom to do and be whatever I want to be. Okay, so think of it like in uh, human sexuality. A guy wants to be a woman, a woman wants to be a man. If that's your understanding of liberty, I understand why it's a big deal and why you fight for that cause. Then there's the other possibility, which is the Christian stuff, because there is Christian stuff all over the you know, the, all over DC. It's, it's, there's scriptures and you, you can't sandblast those off. I mean, they're, they're there. But so are the other things. So if you come at it from a Christian angle, then you're saying, I am free to do 
and be what God made me to be. And so whether it's the evidence being found in the debate over sexual identity or abortion or even as simple as not wearing a mask in public, right? This idea of liberty comes up in the uh, conversations we have. And so then the war mounts in media and you're influenced by it and online and where each position has their own mainstream media help to put their point of view out there and all of its methods of persuasion to take side in the debates of the ages. And we can get a mindset like we see in the book of Joshua before the battle of Jericho. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. <laughs> what? But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? I love the question. He's about to go take a city that's not walking with God. Are you for us or are you for them? And I love the response. Neither. We might ask God, he might, we, 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 might, we, we might ask God, hey, are you for that Democratic Party over there? Are you for the Conservative Party? Neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. And I expect my creation to get in alignment with me. I am the king, king of kings and lord of lords, and the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ, and he shall reign. And some people have been more a disciple of their political preference, parties, and your own internal personal values. And if you call yourself a Christian and a follower of Christ, I'm imploring you, draw near to Jesus to find out his values. They will be, he will be the last man standing. And, it, and, and those values are gonna prevail. And if you're gonna be a follower of his, it's incumbent on us to do that. I had a, I had a situation happen, you know, um, where I was trying to help somebody understand this in my journey. We met in my office recently, and I drew something on the whiteboard that really helped me wrap my mind around. I'm going to do this with you. I want you to imagine in, in, from your left to your right, we're just going to go with that, that this represents the left in liberal values, maybe the Democratic Party and whatever your Green Party, whatever your liberal preference is. And over here is, say, Republicans and other conservative parties. When I first was at my Bible college, the, the, their mindset, it felt like getting converted was moving me not only, was not really, like discipleship was moving me from left to right. That seemed to be what the goal was. And if you come from a, a, a you know, more of a, a liberal Christian background, I know for, we get lots of denominations, various people from multiple denominations. You're wondering, we are, speaking of being pluralistic, we got that going on here quite a bit as well. You could be, it could be trying to move from left to right. I want to say that both of those are wrong. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And I'm a, I belong to Jesus Christ. Movement shouldn't be from here to here or here to here. When a person repents, right? Jesus said, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We begin to change our mind, then our movement should be towards Jesus. Yeah. Let me tell you why this is really important. I had a, 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 rep, a state representative back when we were in the other facility uh, and back when we had the office over at the Jubilee offices uh, down in, uh, closer to Cleona. 
call up the office and say, hey, I'd like to meet with your pastor. I didn't know him. He said, I, I want to hear his perspective on capital punishment. And so never had this happen before. And so he comes in my office. Let me tell you something. If I had attacked him online, do you think he would have sought my opinion? It's hard to disciple people you're attacking, isn't it? They're not listening to you. That's a fantastic word. You're right. It really is. And the reason I know it's fantastic is God dealt with me first. Jimmy, I've not called you to disciple them in a political opinion. I have called you to make them a disciple of Christ. If you get them to Christ, the Holy Spirit is more than able to lead them to the right conclusions. I told you I'm not going to make all you happy. That's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm trying to get you to think. That's all I'm trying to do. I think President Trump needs some discipleship. I think Jesus would say to him, President, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you know how to answer every person. All right? Um, and I could say the same thing with, with the, uh, on the Democratic side, with Biden and Kamala Harris and them, and, and all the echelon of both parties. They need discipled. They're going to perish in eternity apart from God. And if you're excited about that, there's a bunch of scriptures you need to read about God not liking it when his people are excited about the perishing of the wicked. God does not delight in that. We need to wish, our, our big goal here is to lead people to Jesus Christ so they can find eternal life. And once they become a disciple of Jesus Christ, they can grow in him. And I, I think there's an incredible story about Jesus and Pontius Pilate. So Jesus is put on trial. He comes before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate learns that he, he is being said that he's the king. He's the king of the Jews. Behold the king of the Jews. This guy says he's the king of the Jews. He should be killed. So Pilate brings him in and says, is this true? Who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And after they have this dialogue where he basically says, yes. Um, Pilate, uh, in John 18, verse 36, let me understand this. When Pilate's asking this because other kings are threat to kingdoms, remember what I opened up with. They don't like those threats. So he's really investigating the threats, what he's doing. In John 18, verse 36, it says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, in this season, my kingdom is not from here. Okay, the word here is a fascinating word in the Greek language. It literally, so it's, it's got the negative in front of it, not, and then the word here. And this is what it says, my kingdom is not of either side. Jesus, are you more democratic? No, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. Jesus, are you more Republican? No, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. Jesus, are you the king of kings and lord of lords? Now you're tracking. This is, this is our call, friends. I, I, I can't make that any easier. Here's what's crazy, and here's how I know Pilate wasn't threatened. Pilate wasn't threatened. It shows because he walked out and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. That was his immediate statement after that interview. What's that tell you? They weren't threatened. Now, here's my question for you. If a leader came to you and asked you about where you're at, do they feel threatened by you? Or is your kingdom not of this world? There's a day that the kingdoms of this world fully become. I believe there's power now. In fact, let me, you know, uh, here's another thing I noticed. Now I'm going to go my kind of random observations, if I could just do that with you for a minute. I was a little more lit the first service. You know how that goes, right? Uh, 
But there's this random observation I've noticed, like, depending upon which, who has values. Like, I've lived through multiple, I'm, like, I'm 50, so I've lived through a few elections now, all right? One I actually remember is back, the oldest I go back and remember would be uh, um, Ford and, and Jimmy Carter, okay? And I remember that. That's, that's, that. that's my child memory, and I remember that, okay? And I remember people are always like, the world's going to end if this leader gets picked. You know, and then it went from, you know, Carter and Reagan, and then on it goes, and then we get to uh, President Clinton. I remember, because I was at the Bible college at the time when President Clinton got elected, and oh my gosh, this, this liberal gets elected, the Antichrist is rising to power, it's the end of the world, for those who know eschatology and Tim LaHaye books and those kind of things, you know, they, uh, which is not my eschatology, by the way, for those who are wondering, but I, I, uh, that, they can have that, it stirs up all that stuff. Okay, I want to tell you something that Jesus said. When he left, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and so I send you. Paul wrote at the beginning of this, I want you to have the eyes of your understanding enlightened, that you would know the hope of the call of God, that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power in you. You have authority to make a difference in your world. And we spend time, I've seen Christians have much more faith in the Antichrist than they do the Christ. Some of you are scared to death to get the mark of the beast. I'm like, dude, if you're walking with Jesus, I promise you, Holy Spirit's big enough to tell you what's up. Yeah. Secondarily, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, whatever, clap, don't clap. Jesus then went on to say, um, or, or, we, we, there's some people that I find that are, are scared, like I'm gonna get the mark of the beast by accident. You will definitely not get it by accident. You have to, it's, a, it's an agreement with darkness. And some of you are more concerned about getting the mark of the beast whenever that is than you are concerned of getting the mark of it now through your day-to-day -day living. Listen, if your ways align with Christ's ways, there's no chance. If your ways align with the world, you won't care. So I wanna give you a few actions that we can take. Next week, I'm gonna dive into citizenship and all that stuff and, how to have more faith in, in God's power than in humans. I, I wish, I have one goal today, that we quit looking like either side of the aisle is gonna save the world, they won't. No chance, they're humans who need a savior themselves. I have faith that God takes weak, broken people like this pastor here, who lived a life of sin before I came to Christ, and in his grace can transform me and in my weakness still use me while I bumble along through this life. Some of my best things that ever happened, they were accidents. You guys come up to me, that was awesome. Oh, I love this thing or I love that thing. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, well, sometimes I just tell them, uh, yeah, that was a total accident. That was a miracle itself. Here's a couple of actions you can take. First, get to know your king. Like some of you know more about your political party than you know about Jesus. And I know some of you say, I don't care about any of it. Okay, get to know your king more than you know about Netflix shows. Get to know your king more than Amazon and your favorite entertainment, more than what's happening on Snapchat or TikTok. If you know more what's going on TikTok than you know Jesus, I want to say to you that the clock is ticking. <laughs> you should get to know your king. I, I'm sorry, that was random. Um, the second thing is, and I want to call it this, is be a kingdom citizen. Learn to grow as a kingdom citizen. You get to know your king, get to know his values. Then listen, be a kingdom citizen first and a USA citizen second, or whatever country, if you're joining us online, whatever country you, you hail from. You follow what I'm saying there? So for example, if I want to represent a, a value of 
my value in the USA. And I wanna express that value and we're gonna debate about it. I want to do it with kindness, not with, and I wanna do it, like I said, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Most of us don't do what Paul told Timothy. But as a disciple of Jesus, that's what we should be doing. That's our aim. Honestly, if you attack them again, how are you gonna disciple them? How's that working out for you? And our mission, return to the mission. Our mission is not to convert someone to a particular position, it's to disciple the nations. How do you disciple them? Well, first of all, show them what a Christian looks like. Come on, do you see Jesus when he's, when he's around? Like Jesus, talk about the master disciple maker. He takes Peter, who is probably a zealot, Simon the Zealot. Okay, a zealot is a political party in their day. A zealot is a, it's a fringe political party that was ready to kill and overthrow and do kind of terroristic acts. So Jesus takes somebody who's kind of mildly terroristic and then takes a tax collector named Matthew who they hate and says, you people are gonna be brothers. I'm gonna take you little terrorists. I'm gonna move you here. I'm gonna take you little tax collector who just puts religion on to make money. I'm gonna bring you here. And then I'm gonna make one new man out of that. I'm gonna make the most unlikely friends become friends. The most unlikely people become family. Because that's what I do, says the Lord. Then we, we, we weapon, the Paul the Apostle said, um, the weapons of our warfare, they're not human in origin. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the destruction of strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The, the, the strongholds, we'll do that in another message. It's coming up in our prayer series. I'll save that. But the high things it talks about, the, the, the word there, the arguments is the word legismo. It means logical arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Let me, Paul's weapons are not words. They're love, their service, their prayer. Words come into that, but listen, nobody's believing you until they see Jesus in you. So many people have walked away from the faith just because they haven't seen it done yet. And I see so many people come to the faith once they really experience Christ in a human being. The third thing is love your enemies, says the Lord. Pray for them that spitefully use you and persecute you. Let's talk about spitefully for a minute. That's, that's pretty nasty. He did that in spite. Oh, oh, let me pray for him. God bless you. Who does that? Christians do. That's who does that. It's hard, to, again, it's hard to disciple people you're attacking. I had an amazing experience watching uh, my daughter, Joanna. She's the one that leads worship up here. She's also our social media manager online. Of course, uh, today, no leader can do anything right. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Like, you opened up without masks, what's up with that? Or you, you uh, uh, you know, when, the, when George Floyd thing, when George Floyd lost his life, there was a lady who just posted and began to attack Lifeway and other churches that she was sure, I'm so tired of you people, your, you, your intolerance and your, you don't care about this racial stuff. Uh, so Joanna, with each one of them, would go alongside and she said, I pray and say, God, I said, what are you thinking in your mind? She said, because she did such a good job of de-escalating the situation. I said, what's going on in your head? She said, I pray and say, God, what's really going on in their heart and how can I minister to that? Have you ever noticed that Jesus, when people come up and ask him questions, what do you say about this? And he doesn't answer their question. He goes right to the heart issue. What if we would do that? Because what if they're not actually interested in all that? That's just the opener for them. And it's usually a terrible opener, which triggers you. 
When we get triggered, could we go to God like Joanna does and go, what happens here? With the one girl with the George Floyd incident, she said, hey, she pulled her aside and said, hey, my dad's Bible college roommate, Brian. They're still friends 30 years later. He's a black man who helped disciple my dad. One of the first people Jimmy called when George Floyd died was Brian to find out how he's doing. Brian's experienced racism at a personal level. I feel him. He's my brother, man. I love that guy. On top of that, he's got a white wife and as he would put it, Oreo children. And he said that has caused him more problems when he ministers in the South than you can imagine, you know, and, and stuff like that. And I'm there for Brian and my, my pastor friend, Shannon Eaton down in Florida. Some of you saw him during that time and she pointed him to them and just, her, her point was to say, and even the, you know, Michael Bass night here in this church. And I, I got a hold of every one of them that all the guys I knew that were close to me that I felt comfortable asking the question, how are you feeling? What are you facing? She didn't know that, but Joanna just tried to find out what was going on. The other, the other person, Joanna just had a heart to heart conversation. And here's what I love. She wasn't trying, and I wish more of us would do this. I think it's so Jesus style. She wasn't trying to win the argument. She was trying to win the, their heart, win their friendship, knowing that if I'm friends with them, then I can disciple them. I can't, I can't disciple somebody I'm not friends with. So the foundation of discipling the nations is having a relationship with the nations. You gotta have relationship before you have discipleship. Stand to your feet, I'm gonna be done. Of course, we could pray for our nation. When Jeremiah was taken captive to Babylon, when he was taken captive to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was king. God told him uh, to pray for his, what he says in, in uh, Jeremiah 29, seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and, and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may increase there and not diminished. And seek the peace, listen to this, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for its peace and in it you will have peace. That made every single person other than him and maybe Ezekiel mad in the entire nation. They didn't want anything to do with that kind of prayer. No, we're praying for their destruction. We're not praying for their peace. It's like God was letting a release of beginnings of what he's gonna show us in Jesus Christ. Daniel served under four kings in Babylon faithfully. Those kings always consulted with him because they could see his devotion to God and his devotion to their success, even when he disagreed with who they were and what they were doing. Speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, one of the interesting things about kings is when a king comes into a land, one of the, one of the things that would happen, well, you can see this, you can go read about uh, Babylon conquering Israel. And one of the things they would do when they go into these cities, they would send a, because, because wars can get expensive, losing lives can be costly of your soldiers and all that stuff. And so they would send a herald in and I'm, I can't do it. I don't know what it was like in, uh, you know, the Middle East during that time. So I'm going to go with an old English version of that. But they would send a herald in. And basically what they would do is that herald would go in and he would say something along the lines of, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is coming to your city. He's going to conquer it. Here are your options. He, he demands unconditional surrender. Here are your options. You can surrender unconditionally and you can become a part of the nation of Babylon. We will put you under tribute. We'll put governors there, but you can live and remain in your land. 
Or if you resist, then we'll send our armies in and utterly crush you and we'll take the land by force. We'd prefer not to do that, that's costly. That's essentially what he said. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is kind of like that. It's like that herald going in, you know, blow the horn, open up the scroll, hear ye, hear ye. King Nebuchadnezzar is coming into the land. You need to repent. You know, you need to change. You need to submit. You need to surrender or you're going to die. What are they saying? Bow now, bow later. That's your choice. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not too dissimilar. When I was in Bible college, I remember the first time I'd always seen the kind of the version of the gospel you do here. But I remember hearing my, one of my instructors there talk about uh, through a book called Announcing the Reign of God. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is really about the announcement. You notice Jesus didn't come saying, uh, he says, he didn't come say the kingdom of heaven is like, or salvation. He didn't come saying, hey, salvation is like this. Getting saved is like this. It was always centered around the kingdom. Salvation was just part of the process. And so he, he came saying, and this is what he was saying. When he comes saying in the gospel, look, I, I've come, I died on the cross for your sins to pay for the penalty of your sins so you don't have to spend separation from God. If you receive me as your king now, you can join the kingdom of God and, and become my family and I'll teach you the ways of the kingdom and you'll enjoy eternal life with me. If you don't, if you choose bow now or bow later, you can have the forced takeover later at the second coming of Jesus Christ, where that'll be a forced takeover and those who resist at him will perish apart from him forever. That's good biblical, what we call eschatology, end time perspective. I can, there's a lot of other details in there, but that's the most important ones. Bow now, bow later. Here's the thing, God so loved you that he doesn't want you in the bow later group. He says, come on in right now. Let's not make this painful. Let's not make it costly for you. I've already taken the highest cost, Jesus says. I've paid the price of my life and I want you to get in on it. And I wanna give you an opportunity to get in on it right now. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes to give those an opportunity to do, deal, do business with God? If you're here today, and you're like, yeah, I, my heart is stirred today. I, I wanna get in on the kingdom of God. I want to become a part of the family of God. I don't want to be, I wanna be on the winning team. You know, I don't wanna be conquered later. And I wanna learn the values of this kingdom that, that Jimmy talked about today. And if that's you today, would you just raise your hand high and let me pray for you? Maybe you're already in. I will say resistance ultimately is futile. All right, well, I don't see anyone. So let's, how about for us then, let's pray for kingdom, our own citizenship. Maybe you join me in praying this. Would you pray something like this? Say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me for how I have aligned with some other value than the values of the kingdom of God. And I come today asking you to help me change my mind, learn the ways of the kingdom, and to grow in Christ's likeness. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me that help. In Jesus' name, amen.